Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now, here are your hosts, the founders of DogsInDanger.com, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush, on AM970, The Apple. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How did you know I was going to say that, Brenda? Because that's your shtick. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to our uh, our loyal fans. Uh, welcome to dog lovers um, all over, I guess worldwide, because we're publishing on the web as well, um, as well as live, of course, in WNYM in New York City and vicinity. And uh, welcome to actual animal lovers, yeah. which is going to be an interesting thing. We're going to talk a little bit about dogs versus animals, animals versus dogs, or are they the same? And if you tuned in last week at 1 o'clock and you uh, heard a football game, um, that was because we were preempted, and uh, here we are back again on our regular schedule. Actually, it was dogs playing football. <laughs> so we, we like to keep everything uh, sort of on shelter and on message. Uh, today's we topic, do have a dogs and football story, actually. I know, I know we do. We're but, not there yet. But we'll get there. But first of all, let's just talk about what the subject is for this week's show, and that is mm-hmm. shelter reporting. Now, everybody sit down and say, what exactly is shelter reporting? Well, the easier way to describe is, what's the big secret? Just what is the big secret? That's what I want to know. And that's what we're going to talk about, the big secret out there. Right. So, reporting, we're talking about reporting statistics. So yeah, and it sounds boring, of, yeah. but it is not boring, it's folks. It's not boring. Okay? You're not going to be bored by this show. Trust me. Okay? Keeping track of how many dogs come in and how many leave. Yeah. So, so that's the big secret, and we're going to find out why it's not boring in five minutes. Because as soon as you say statistics, like 50% of the radio shut off. Tune out. Yeah. Don't tune out yet. We got, we got an exciting conversation about this one. Exactly. But a couple of housekeeping items, some interesting stuff going on over the last week. Um, today, as a matter of fact, today being the Sunday, the Journal News, which is the number one paper in Westchester County, has a front page story on this radio show and uh, amazingly about us. And um, it yeah, quotes us as a big hit. It was a very nice story. It was a really nice story. And thank you, Journal News and uh, the reporter, Barbara Knackman, who took an interest in our cause. Absolutely. And uh, are we really a big hit? Who knows? Who's looking at the numbers? <laughs> But thank you very much to the Journal News and any of you that want to pick up the paper. It's in the newsstands this morning. We just picked it up this morning. It's a great story. Thank you, Barbara. Um, did you guys um, do you guys follow the website uh, The Kind Life? Um, it's Alicia Silverstones. Do you know the movie star? Alicia Everybody Silverstones. knows Alicia Silverstone. Right. Her her website. She runs a, a website or she posts on a website that she runs called The Kind Life. And last week, out of nowhere, we we noticed that our web traffic went through the roof. I mean, literally just went, just jumped up, doubled up. And we were wondering what's going on, and soon we got the answer. Alicia Silverstone had posted a blog listing that day about dogsindanger.com and called us an amazing organization. Uh, you have it up on the website, yeah, right? Yeah, it was a really heartfelt uh, uh, blog post by her, and, uh, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, she talked, yeah, she talked about the whole thing, about the, the need for it and uh, organizations, other rescue organizations out there, and she talked a little bit about the memorial site. And, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a great post, then, and it mm-hmm. was funny because our traffic went from our usual yeah. 2,000 unique visitors a day to 3,500. You can always instantly. figure out when somebody's talking about you. Yeah. Right? So, well, somebody Traffic important. Traffic goes right. Well, right. <laughs> Quote, unquote, Somebody right? with a following. <laughs> so thank you, Alicia Silverstone, because that was really a, a, a nice thing to do. It came from the heart and uh, generated a lot of response. Yes, it did. And um, so moving on with the, uh, the unending story of the PSA, I think we're going to make a movie about the PSA, which is going to be way more interesting than the PSA itself. No, no we're really. not. 
I really think so. Because this thing has been around for how many years now? We've been talking about this We've been PSA. talking about this PSA for three years. Yeah. And it's so close to being done now. It's so close. Well, let, let's elaborate. What, what do we mean by being done? It's finished. It's right. in the can. There is an, a special effect that's being put in. The music is done for it. Uh-huh. Okay. All the footage is shot and edited. Okay. And there is a special effect that's being done at, toward the end. There is a special effect that had to wait until the, the final editing was, was in place. So all of it is done. It's, it's almost ready to go. And we are more scared than we have ever been. And tell us why we're so scared. Money. Me- <laughs> media money. Because you would think networks would just put it on the air. It's a public service announcement, right? You would think they would just put it on the air as a good thing to do. Uh, it used to be years ago, I understand, that um, that – Networks had to run a certain amount of their time to PSAs, right? Right. But that's no right. longer the case. Yeah, it changed the regulation. Right. Why? So, I have so no even idea. the charities have to pay for that valuable time, right? So it's well, very unless you expensive. get very lucky and you get in with you know the right you know right right network executive or you're in with the ad council or something. So what? Why we are so scared is because now we have this what we consider to be an amazing PSA. Yeah. I have to tell you, it's really good. It really is. Um, it's very moving. It's very touching. I come from that background, and, and look, humbly stated, I think it's a great. You guys have to decide when you see it, but I think it's a really great spot. It hits home. And the reason we're so scared is we don't know where we're going to get the money for the media time. <laughs> so it's kind of like a having great, a Rolls Royce yeah. and no roads to drive it on, you know? We had a great fundraiser last year, and we were successful in, in raising enough money to actually produce it. Now we've got it ready to go, and we've got some big challenges ahead of us. So, um, Yeah, so the Rolls-Royce is sitting in the garage. We'd like everybody to see it across the network. <laughs> but I got nowhere to drive it. So <laughs> so we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to give it a try at, uh, at putting yeah. some media behind it. Well, our big hope, okay, let's tell people what the big hope here is. Is that the, Ad Council picks us up. That's no, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Come on. No, our real, I mean, our big hope is that we're going to put – a chunk of money out there and buy some right. really good media with some friends of ours that are going to do the buying for us. And uh, you know who those friends are, Bob Klein. Um, and if we buy this media, we're hoping that when people see the commercial, they'll donate in um, enough amounts that we can take right. that money, the donation money, and put it back into more media. So the point is not to make money off of it so much as to get the awareness out there. Right. For people to see and understand what's going on right. in the world. And you should clarify, when you say more media, you mean more network airtime. More air network airtime. Right. Exactly, exactly. So that's, that's, the, that's the idea. That's our big hope. If it doesn't go that well, this is the place you're going to find out about our, you know, our kibosh PSA. here. You know? <laughs> it's not going to be. <laughs> It'll be PSA Bites the Dust program. Thank God YouTube is free. <laughs> uh, well, Pet Talk Du Jour, we're going right through our time here. Pet Talk Du Jour, uh, we have a couple of minutes left here. Anybody watch the MTV Awards? Well, that's a question you guys can't answer, but uh, we did look at the MTV Awards, and we were kind of gaga at Lady Gaga. I mean, I don't know if anybody else saw it or figured it out. I did not figure out what she was wearing, okay? I saw this thing with this, this very pretty girl come up there with this red thing on, so I figured it's a red dress, weird-looking dress, but a red, red dress. It turns out that the dress was made of red meat, live red meat. She was wearing meat, as clothing, including your shirts, shoes, which were made of, by the way, I think skirt steak. I don't know what that was. But whatever, the whole thing was made of meat. So we were like, when we figured that one out, we scratched our heads and we were like, ah, that's where she got the name Gaga. Because while I was, when I read that it was all meat, I started gagaing, and then I rushed to the bathroom. <laughs> 
<laughs> Honestly. It so. was really, really. <laughs> uh, PETA flipped out. In my humble uh, opinion, disgusting. But. Some of us, I guess, were disgusted, you know. Um, so a little piece of information to Lady Gaga. Uh, meat is dead flesh. Wearing it is not appetizing, not particularly interesting, and I don't even know if it's that cool. What do you think? Yeah, you, uh, I was repulsed personally. Um, I, I think she's a, a great artist, and she should stick to uh, really her musical talents. And you know, if she wants to make a political statement, uh, perhaps she should call her congressman. I understand it had something to do with the uh, ban on gays in the military that yeah, she was. What does that have I don't to do get with the connection, meat? but in any event, a lot of animal lovers were just offended by it. So yeah, hopefully, so she'll choose her wardrobe a little better next time. So this morning, just about an hour ago, we put up a a poll up on yeah. Facebook asking people, offensive? hey, where do you guys, right. what do you, yeah, what awesome do you guys Awesome or feel? offensive. Right, awesome or offensive. Yeah. So what's the number? Where uh, are we going at right now? This is about an hour ago. 36 offensive, seven people awesome. Seven people awesome. You know what? I want to talk to those seven, seven people, people. <laughs> because those are the guys that are going to teach me anything. I'm not going to learn anything from the 36. So anyway, so moving on to the next yeah. subject, and we only have about a minute to cover this one. We're not going to uh, labor on it. dog and football story. The dog and football story is about Michael Vick. Okay, Michael Vick is now the starter of the Philly Eagles. You know, he was a, a bench warmer for a while, and he was completely out. He was in jail. 18 uh, months for in prison. For 18 months mm-hmm. imprisonment. Still for, on federal probation. Right. And last week he threw a huge party, or the week before he threw a huge party, a birthday bash. And somebody came to his door and or fired a bullet at his door. Oh, really? I didn't hear that. Yeah, from a, from a moving car, they presume. Nobody knows who it was. Wow. So we were just kind of wondering, do you ever come back from where he's been or is I think he, that's going to be he, another poll, uh, yeah, another poll that we're going to have to do. Is is it uh, you know, inappropriate um how do people really feel about uh Michael Vick? Well, now that he's the starter of the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, you really got to well, ask yourself. In terms of his, you know, yeah. his return to the industry, yeah. his acceptance back into the industry. Yeah, so. to that level. I mean, from, from where he's been, it's kind of a, it, I have a, a duality to it. If I'm watching him and he's having a great game, I really respect him as an athlete. At the same time, you know, you just can't erase your past. Yeah, right? That's true. Well, I mean, I'd like to erase some of forever. the things that I've done in my past. It carries so with us forever. If you're giving me that magic uh, eraser, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll apply it to myself first. Um, we're at 14.30, so therefore we have to do our first dog sequence. Brenda, you're up. Okay. Um, As you guys know, every uh, every show we do feature two featured dogs of the day from the Dogs in Danger website to get them a little additional exposure. The first one today is Tip, who is an adorable little, I don't know, he looks to me maybe maybe three or four months old, uh, a black lab mix, and he is just the cutest little thing. He's in the Springfield, Colorado shelter. And the shelter has to say about him, um, tips a lab mixed puppy who doesn't have a home. He's very sweet. Um, small spite, small white spot on his chest and tipped feet. He's, he's really adorable. You can see him either on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash dogs in danger. Or you can also um, go to the dogs in danger radio hour page where we show all the dogs and the contact information. Uh, and if you're not near Colorado, as we always say, there are lots of great uh, rescue transport groups out there. Um, So uh, we'll be back in just a minute with uh, our first guest. More of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour is on the way on AM 970, The Apple. When we first started thinking about Dogs in Danger... 
we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know just which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsInDanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and 40,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families and children everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to DogsInDanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 per month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to DogsInDanger.com and do something good for your soul. Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on AM 970, The Apple. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back again from that quick break, and we are about ready to introduce our first guest, who is Ryan Clinton, writer, appellate, appellate attorney, civic advocate, and founder of FixAustin.com. Hold on one second while we put in Mr. Clinton. Hello. Hello. Hi, is this uh, Ryan Clinton? Yes, it is. Hi, how are you? This is Alex Alexanian with uh, Brenda Bush. And we're live on Hi. the air. Thank you for joining Hi, us. Hi, Alex and Brenda. How are you guys? Pleasure having you. We're great. We're great and on, on a very nice day in New York. Good. So um, we're going to talk uh, today's subject, obviously, is about what's the big secret, which is shelter reporting. And just to educate uh, our listeners to what shelter reporting, just what it is. Can you just give us a, a brief synopsis into just what is shelter reporting? How is it defined? Absolutely. Well, I'm not sure exactly how it's defined, but I can tell you what it means to me. Shelter reporting to me means being transparent with the public about what is really going on at the shelter. And by reporting numbers such as uh, how many rescue groups uh, a shelter is working with, how many adoptions a shelter has, what the intake is at an animal shelter, what the kill rate is, uh, then the public can begin to understand uh, what's really happening at their local shelter and also how best a shelter can be helped or reformed if necessary. So, Right. I mean, you can't fix the problem if you don't know what it is. That's exactly right. So all we're talking about is shelter reporting, meaning reporting the numbers coming in, going out, how many are saved, how many die, blah, blah. Am I That's correct? Exactly right. That's exactly right. And you have to know those things to really be able to, uh, to understand what's going on at your shelter. Well, it, why is it so important? Why is it so critical that we have accurate information about the shelters and, and, and how effective they are? Because without data, you can't know what needs to be done. And I can give you some specific concrete examples. You need to know how many animals are coming into your shelter in order to know what you're up against. You know, some cities don't actually have that many animals coming into their shelter, yet we uh, have this, this idea that we're being overloaded with animals at shelters. And so the problem there and the solutions are different than they are in a city where there are actually tens of thousands of animals coming into shelters or, or nearly 100,000 or more, as in, for example, Houston, Texas. 
So it's really critical to understand how many animals are coming in. But it's also critical to understand the outcomes of the animals at the shelter, whether, whether the shelter has an adoption program. There's a, group, there's a shelter in, um, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. They literally do not have an adoption program. Well, you wouldn't know that if you didn't, um, if you didn't know the, the, the shelter reporting. Mm-hmm. So you need to know uh, how many adoptions they have. You need to know if, if they're working with rescue groups at all. There are shelters that will not work with rescue groups. Mm-hmm. Without the appropriate data, you'd never know that, and you'd never know that that is one of the places that needs to be reformed. Well, I'm sure there is a requirement that shelters report, right? I mean, there, there must be some law, state or federal law, that shelters that take taxpayer money especially report um, the accurate numbers of what they're doing what they're doing with those dollars. You would think so, um, but unfortunately there, there isn't in a lot of places. You know, the state of Delaware just passed the Companion Animal Protection Act, which does require shelter reporting. But in most places, there is not a requirement for shelters to let people know what's really going on. You mean around now, the country? That's right, absolutely. And there's no federal law that says all shelters in the United States must report? There isn't. There isn't at all. There now, isn't. There there are some ways that you can still get at this information. And it's easier if, you, if your shelter is run by a governmental entity and not a non-governmental entity. If it's run by a governmental entity, then your shelter is very likely subject to a local or state Freedom of Information Act. Now, it could be called any number of things, Public Information Act, Freedom of Information Act. They'll have different names in different um, jurisdictions. But if your shelter is run by the municipality, then it likely will be subject to a Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. And you can get the reporting that is done by the shelter. Now, that doesn't mean that all shelters report, which is the problem. Mm-hmm. But if your shelter does calculate, for example, the number of animals coming in, the number of animals going out, the number of animals who die at the shelter, um, then you can get that through a Freedom of Information Act request. Which is cumbersome, timely, well, right? I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the be, world. It can be, but it's, you know, the most important thing is to find out who the person in your municipality is that the, that the request needs to be sent to. Make it in writing. Sometimes in some municipalities, email is, uh, is allowed, but in most cases it needs to be in writing on paper. And then specify the exact materials you need. It's not ideas that you're looking for, it's materials. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for example, you don't want to ask for the shelter's kill rate. You want to ask for any reports uh, that indicate how many animals are killed. Well, is there a requirement that, I mean, I understand that there's no requirement that they report it, but is there a requirement that they don't lie? For example, what if, the, you know, you have a bad guy, let's say. Of course, it happens rarely, but let's say you have a bad guy and he decides to lie on the numbers because he, his numbers aren't so good. Is there, a, you know, such as there is in perjury laws and, in, in, you know, in individual cases, is there a requirement that when they do report them, they don't lie? Well, you know, that would probably, I, I'm not sure the answer to that. You know, unfortunately, uh, there probably aren't really laws directed to that, but there may be some, uh, again, local or state laws that uh, give punishments for government employees who lie or essentially give fraudulent answers to responses. But I can tell you, in in living in this animal welfare world and trying to track these down, 
you, you really have two groups of shelters, ones that are very transparent about it and are out in the open and will tell you exactly what's going on. And then there are others who really try to hide it. Um, they won't answer. They'll tell you they don't even calculate them, or they'll give you numbers that you just don't trust. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. a real problem. So there's no requirements of any type socially. All it's, it's up to the individual shelter. It's up to the individual organization what they do. They can choose to report accurately, choose to not report at all, choose to report and lie, and choose to minimize the numbers. They can do whatever they want under the sun. Am I correct? Well, I mean, I don't want to say that. I don't think that's exactly true. Um, They probably could be fired for, you know, lying in a a government document. There may be some fraud uh, laws that would concern government employees. But ultimately, if they're not really keeping track of it, and they aren't required to by local law, then there's not a whole lot you can do. But most animal shelters, in my experience, are at the very least keeping track of the information. And if they're keeping track of the information, even if they're not accumulating it in a form that is helpful to you, you can still get the documents that keep track of the information themselves through the Freedom of Information Act. That's going to be your best tool for getting information for a shelter who won't just hand it over. Now, that said, there are plenty. I don't want to make this out to be a horrible thing. There are plenty of shelters who do release this information. They'll have it on their websites, give it to you when called, or they'll give it to you under Freedom of Information Act requests, and you can get it. So how, what percentage a, of shelters do you think uh, in the United States report them easily without the, the FIOS or the Freedom of Information? Make, actually making it public. Yeah, making it public. Put it on their website, well, for example. Uh, nonprofit shelters, it's probably a smaller number. Uh, government shelters, uh, through, at least through Freedom of Information Act, you can probably get a good portion of the municipal shelters reporting. Um, you're real, where you're really having trouble is through nonprofits because it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there are some tools because nonprofits are not going to be generally subject to any Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have an SPCA or a Humane Society that runs your local shelter, it's going to be a lot harder. Now, I still tell people the first thing you need to do is ask. Look at their website. You know, I looked at the Tompkins County SBCA website just yesterday. They have all their numbers there. They're very transparent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're, they're a gold standard for shelter transparency. I looked at Charlottesville, Virginia's SBCA. They, too, are very transparent in their numbers. So you can get these at some. Uh, also, many shelters have signed on to what's, so, what's called the so-called Asilomar Accords. And if they have signed on to the Asilomar Accords, they too will give you the information that is required to be reported by those accords. But if they won't give it to you and they are not signed on to the accords, then you're going to have to, it's going to be real hard. I'll give you another specific example. I have a friend who's trying to track down the kill rate for a shelter called Bark in Houston, Texas. And they, they just will not give it to her. It's a nonprofit that runs the shelter. Um, they're not required by law to give it to her. She was only able to find a report where they, where they told a governmental entity several years ago that their kill rate was 65%. But it's a problem because most people in Houston think they're a no-kill shelter. <laughs> uh, what's your feeling? Do you know what happened here about a couple of weeks ago with the Governor Patterson vetoing this bill? Um, that required uh, at least municipal, state-funded municipal shelters to report 
uh, accurately on their websites, the, the, the three numbers. You know, our governor, uh, it passed the, our Senate, uh, state Senate, uh, huge numbers. It and passed the assembly. Uh, assembly, huge numbers, and went to the governor, and the governor vetoed it. And the reason he gave for his veto was that the ASPCA's conviction that showing the real numbers would depress people and they would be less likely to adopt from shelters. Did you hear about this? I did, and frankly, it's absurd. And the ASPCA should be embarrassed by its position. You know, it, there is there is no nonprofit that should be afraid to tell the people what, in fact, it does. And you will only improve when you are subject to public scrutiny. scrutiny. Absolutely. Um, you know, government entities perform better when the people know what they're doing. Non-governmental entities perform better when the people know what they're doing. All of us do our job better when we know that somebody is watching us. So to, to say that embarrassment to an entity is more important than saving lives is frankly just uh, hideous. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's indefensible. And, and the fact that it's coming from the ASPCA. Yeah, especially when okay. that entity's business is supposed to be uh, animal welfare and saving lives. <laughs> An entity, by, by, by the way, who has signed to the Asilomar Accord. Yeah. So, well, and they're and, sticking by that because in the statement they also said that uh, they wanted it to stay, remain voluntary for shelters to do it, and they recommend the Asilomar Accords to do that. And for anyone that's not familiar with those, our next guest is going to talk more about it. So we really appreciate you being with us today and, um, and hope to have you back on the show again to talk about some of the uh, issues going on there in your part of the country. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much, Ryan. Thanks very much. Appreciate it greatly. Thanks. Well, and we'll be right back after this short commercial break. More of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour is on the way on AM 970, The Apple. The News, AM 970, The Apple. 21 degrees under overcast skies in New York City. A scare in midair for 64 people aboard a Delta flight from Atlanta to White Plains last night. As the pilot was getting ready to land, he realized his landing gear was not working. We knew that it was taking longer. We were already a half hour late, and it, it kind of looked like we were going in circles. And then they came on and told us why. And uh, I don't know. I'm just really happy to be here. The pilot took the plane to JFK, where the landing strip is nice and long. He then landed the jet on its belly and right wing. No one on board was hurt. The FAA is investigating. Friends, teachers, and fellow students remembered a Seton Hall University student as strong and selfless hours after she was fatally shot in an off-campus apartment by a gunman who also wounded four of the people after he was denied access to a party. According to police, the gunman is still on the loose. The king of falafel is the best street vendor in New York City. Fares Ziedia, the owner of the Falafel King Carton Queens, beat out a slew of food card owners from across the city to win the annual Vendi Award Saturday. I'm originally from uh, Palestine in the West Bank. I learned first to cook for my mom when I was a kid. And actually recently, two years ago, I went to culinary school. Nobody makes falafel like mine. We make it the original way. We make it out of chickpeas, onions, garlic, parsley, and a blend of spices. Zedia's truck is parked along 30th Street and Broadway in Astoria. More than 1,200 people paid $80 each to sample all of the street food at the award ceremony on Governor's Island yesterday. In sports, it's the Tennessee Titans leading the Giants 3 to nothing. although the Giants are on the doorstep of the end zone. Tonight, it's the Jets taking on Miami. Yankees are home for Boston. The Mets are taking on Philadelphia. Your weather forecast today, clouds a high 78, showers tonight, low 62. On the roads, George Washington Bridge outbound. Upper deck, we had an earlier accident. Accident is gone, but traffic's still slow. Inbound side, about a 20-minute wait. Lincoln's going to cost you 10 minutes heading in. Holland Tunnel appears to be okay. 
AM 970, the Apple is New York City's fastest-growing talk radio station. Check out Curtis Lee one Monday morning on your drive to work and find out why. I am Bill Powers on the Talk of New York on AM 970, the Apple. Could you name seven reasons President Barack Obama has lost America? Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I could think of at least seven, but Town Hall Magazine has done more than just think about it. Town Hall Magazine's provocative cover story is another example of the fresh, intelligent reporting that goes beyond the bullet points of the Internet and way beyond the mainstream media. Log on to townhallmagazine.com and find out why it's the fastest-growing conservative magazine around and take advantage of the special offer with your subscription. For fresh, intelligent reporting, log on to townhallmagazine.com and subscribe today. townhallmagazine.com Tomorrow, you will dream in Spanish. Tomorrow, you will enjoy French films without the subtitles. Tomorrow, you will order Chinese in Chinese. Tomorrow, you'll do all of this and more because today, Rosetta Stone invites you to awaken your natural ability to learn a language absolutely free with a free demo CD-ROM of their newest, most advanced language learning technology. Experience for yourself how easy language learning has become and awaken your true potential with your free demo CD-ROM. Call 1-800-300-1737 and claim yours free today. Built to awaken your natural language learning ability, Rosetta Stone teaches you without classrooms, without boring drills, and without useless memorization. So while tomorrow you'll discover the language inside you, today you can awaken it for free. Call now and receive your free demo CD-ROM from Rosetta Stone. 1-800-300-1737. That's 1-800-300-1737. Would your business benefit from meeting 400 CEOs? Share your product or business at an appreciation luncheon for some of the area's most respected religious leaders, Thursday, October 7th. Sign up for a booth and show your business, product, or service to 400 New York area clergy. It's a great opportunity for your business. Contact Nick Brino at 201-298-2019. That's 201-298-2019. Throw your friend a bone. It's more of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on AM 970, The Apple. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. We are back live from the studios of WNYM in New Jersey, broadcasting to the New York vicinity. And uh, that was fascinating, Brenda. And while we were listening to the news, I had this brilliant concept. Just following up on the ASPCA's thinking, of that it's going to depress people if the real numbers are out there and they are not going to be able to go and uh, and adopt and adoptions will go down. I came up with this brilliant idea. You ready for this? Okay. Why don't we just hide the unemployment rate? Because every time it goes up, it's bad news and people get depressed. So instead of that, let's only tell people the unemployment rate when it goes down. Every time it's high or going up, we just, we we're, just we're not going to release it. Yeah. That's all there is to it. What do you think? Well, the reality is, you know, like we were talking about yesterday, um, this country does a better job of tracking paper clips than it does of live beings, and um, what we call our yeah. best friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. paper so. clips versus our. Well, and what about what about IBM be, not reporting their numbers if they're yeah, bad? Yeah, I don't think that's an option. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just laughable. It's it all is I can laugh- say. It is it's laughable. laughable. Okay, you- that's all I can say. Uh, anyway, let me uh, let's shed a little bit more light on the yeah. subject. Which is fascinatingly be- laughable, by the way. And I'm going to introduce in a second Merritt Clifton, who is editor of Animal People. Hold on one second while we're bringing in Mr. Clifton. Merritt? I'm here. Oh, hi. How are you? This is Alex Alexania with Brenda Bush. Right. I'm Good ready morning. To go. Thanks for being with us. You're raring to go. Is that what you said? Yeah. I've been tracking uh, animal shelter data and 
doubt on several related matters pertaining to animals for actually more than 30 years and using my present survey method for shelter data for about 15 years at this point after having used a couple of other methods in the past as I was developing the method that I'm using now. And you've been you, you've been one of the, 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 the sole efforts out there trying to do this, right? I mean, the government's not doing it. Yes. Independently trying to do this all on your own. It's really a, a valiant effort well, over many decades. states do have tracking requirements, California, Virginia, North Carolina, wow, I believe a couple of others. But the states that have tracking requirements have either introduced them only in the last few years, as in Virginia and North Carolina, or in the case of California, there's been uh, not very good follow-up, even though the tracking requirement has been on the books for a very long time. But is that just to track, or is that also to make it public? Oh, it is to be made public. No, okay. no question about that. That's the purpose of tracking the data. And, Mr. Clifton, how much money do you get from the government for doing this? I've never seen a cent from the government, but I never asked either. You're kidding. So you do this on your own volition, on your own cost, just because you think it is well, fill the blank. I've been on animal-related news beats for nearly 40 years now, and I recognized in the late 70s that there was a significant gap in what information was available as opposed to what was necessary just to do an accurate job of reporting. So I began tracking the first categories of data that came to mind and then added more and more as time went on and the importance of certain numbers became more evident. Let me ask you a question. What's the big secret? Why, why is this such a big deal? Well, you're dealing with actually more than 20,000 animal control jurisdictions in the United States, which are served by more than 4,500 animal shelters uh, with multiple agencies feeding into single shelters in many cases. So that's just a heck of a big coordination job. It's equivalent to the coordination job that has to be done to collect data pertaining to public schools. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that is also an area that has confounded uh, lots and lots of experts and statisticians in government programs because you are dealing with live beings that move around a great deal, and you are also dealing with uh, programs that there's a great disparity in the amount of funding and personnel that they have available in different parts of the country, and even within different parts of the same state. But, you know, um, I, I totally understand the, the similarity with, the, with schools you mentioned, but, you know, with schools it gets into, you know, reading levels and, you know, children with backgrounds that are this kind and that kind. What we were really looking for was really basic stuff, like um, intakes, number of animals that I took in, the number of the, animals I adopted, and the number I killed. I mean, I think that would be just revelational if we just had that much. That data is pretty well tracked most places at this point. It wasn't always. When I began doing this, it was probably fewer than half of the agencies in the country that kept that kind of data. And also, large numbers of agencies actually jobbed out everything to private for-profit contractors who didn't have the motivation to keep any number that wasn't going to uh, bring in money for them. But now the animal care and control is uh, primarily handled by public agencies, which are accountable under freedom of information laws and so forth, and politically accountable. 
the, the data tracking is far, far better than it ever used to be, even far better than 10 years ago. So the, the data, what you're saying is that the data is actually there now, whereas they didn't the even keep the data. The data is very often there. Just but getting you know, one, to it, isn't it? One thing that happens a lot with small agencies is it's on the daily ledgers, but nobody's taking the time to add up the ledger pages. They're just busy. What do you think it would take to make that happen? Well, some places have tried a uh, mandate that the data has to be reported in a certain time in a certain way, and that works reasonably well. But the other aspect of it is the funding for the staff position, where it is actually this particular person's responsibility to track the numbers. And surprisingly enough, at most agencies, there isn't really somebody who formally has tracking data as part of, part of their job description. It's something that the executive director does if he or she has the, the time, background, and inclination, or it's something that gets farmed out to somebody else on staff who's fairly good with numbers, or gets farmed out to a volunteer who takes a particular interest. But if you don't have that particular individual, it may not get done. Right, right, right. So uh, the, our last guest uh, mentioned it toward the end of his time, something called the Asilomar Accords. Merritt, can you tell us a little bit what the Asilomar Accords are, when they were apparently signed or agreed, or just give us a And what some they info. have to do yeah. with reporting? Well, they're about five years old, and there are a lot of components of the Asilomar Accords that don't have anything to do with data tracking. But the part that has to do with data tracking is that Maddie's Fund, based in Alameda, California, funded by the PeopleSoft uh, founders, uh, makes very large grants to communities that undertake programs to get to being a no-kill city or county, or in some cases a whole state, or at least substantially reduce the numbers of dogs and cats that kill in shelters. Mm -hmm. In order to measure the potential and progress, they need to have standardized data tracking. And the Silmar Accords, the most important part of the Accords, in, in my opinion, is that they did introduce a fairly... Uh, complex standardized data tracking method that produces not only the basic numbers but also some subcategorizations which are mostly useful mm -hmm. to shelters in their own internal diagnostic work figuring out what they have to work on as a priority so they basically uh, asked shelters or required or through a voluntary system to report accurately some of these numbers that we've been talking about Right, and they do a lot of cross-comparison to make sure that the numbers uh, check out. For example, if a shelter claims that it's transferred X number of animals to another shelter in the community, the other shelter in the community is also reporting, and you can actually look at the, the forms and see if the numbers match up. Now, what they're doing is much more comprehensive than any previous national shelter polling system, and it's reinforced by the prospect that if you do a good job with your numbers, and the numbers show that there is potential that you may be able to qualify for one of these large Maddie's Fund grants. So, I would suggest, uh, though, that uh, the data tracking could be enhanced if there were simply small grants available mm -hmm. to facilitate doing the data work at the local shelter oh. level because but, of weakness that I... But, but is, it, is it working? I mean, are people adhering, are the organizations adhering to the Sillimore Accords? Well, many of them are, and the key point is not that all 4,500 shelters out there are. The key point is that several hundred are, and that's way beyond any participation in a systematic shelter survey that we had before. I think the highest 
previous was around 250, and the Silmar went way beyond that. So let's talk numbers. What I do is very different because I'm pulling in numbers from lots and lots and lots of different sources and tracking methods rather than using a single uniform method. Okay, so several hundred out of 4,500 are now reporting according to these Silmar accords, right? And just to give you a little perspective on that, that's a much higher uh, sample than when we do presidential polls to figure out who's going to get elected. I mean, you can have a very valid uh, sample if you have a couple of hundred. Yeah, but then we go and vote. We don't. We don't elect presidents based on polls. We elect no, presidents the polls on actual turn out vote count. Damn accurate. And this is the the point. It actually goes all the way back to the origin of shelter tracking statistics. The, the first shelter tracking statistics were actually done by the founders of the National Family Opinion Poll, which is one of the major uh, public opinion survey companies in the U.S., and they used tracking shelter data as a uh, method or a demonstration of their ability to produce uh, good national numbers based on uh, limited amounts of data that were from well-selected jurisdictions. Hmm. So they're representative of the whole. So why wouldn't we pass a federal law that basically says all shelters have to report these three numbers on a quarter base, quarterly basis, intakes, adoptions, and killings? Well, for one thing, the feds don't have the relevant jurisdiction. The Animal Welfare Act does have some uh, aspects that pertain to shelters, but only if those shelters are providing animals to federally funded uh, biomedical research programs. And since the number of shelters that actually do that has dropped down to you can count them on the fingers of your hands. Are you saying that the feds don't have it on a constitutional basis? No, they don't. Animal care and control is historically a state jurisdiction. And unless the animals cross interstate lines, there is no federal jurisdiction, period. And do you think that a law like that would get knocked out uh, on, on judicial review? It wouldn't even get passed. Because animal care and control is so well established as a state jurisdiction, it's one of the things that when the Ninth Amendment was introduced, which limits the the governmental powers, animal care and control was already a recognized government function Mm -hmm. at the city, county, and state level. And do you think that's a good thing, or do you think that's a bad thing overall for for as a uh, humane advocate such as we are? Well, local control is always a lot better for the community to be able to get in and and change things. With that much said, it did take the Animal Welfare Act to achieve a a lot of very necessary shelter reforms, including the establishment of the five-day holding period is pretty much the default norm Mm -hmm. back in 1966. Mm -hmm. But at that time, because a very large number of shelters were providing animals to biomedical research, The feds had a handle, which they no longer have. Mm -hmm. The only interstate commerce aspect that involves shelter animals much at this point are adoption rescue transport outfits that take an animal, say, from a shelter down south and bring it up to New York City for jurisdiction, excuse me, for adoption. That creates a federal jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. But that particular traffic in animals is mostly undertaken by uh, private individuals and small right, nonprofit right, right. organizations, rather than by the shelters themselves. Uh, Merit, so the we only have uh, to the uh, interstate uh, transport rather than to the shelter. 
We only have about a, a minute left, unfortunately. Fascinating discussion. Draw me a picture of what you think the world would be like if there was, for example, let's just say magically there was some federal um, federal law, whether it be through funding or whatever. Let's just say the feds were able to pass a law that applied to all 50 states and said, you must report yours. What do you think the world would be like versus today? Might not be very much change. Not very much. I, I think we've got enough data to have a pretty good handle on what's happening at the at the macro level. It's at the micro level, the local community level, where you have gaps and problems and great inconsistencies in performance. Well, isn't that isn't it exactly that that a law such as that, if it was possible, would address? I mean, I'm talking at the micro level. Not well, the- it would accomplish no more than it has on behalf of public schooling, and, and there it's been. Like, it's been a long struggle since Brown versus United States in 1954 began the momentum towards some kind of, in that case, it was to eliminate segregation and the inequities in education that occurred as a result of racial segregation. But here we are now, almost 60 years later, and we're still struggling with those kinds of inequalities. Well, and we'll I've, continue to, and it's the same thing in animal care and control. Well, we're going to have to leave leave you on that thought. Fascinating discussion. Um, I think I'm a bit on the other side of the fence on the issue, meaning I think that uh, it would make a, a dramatic difference at the micro level. I think you guys have a pretty good handle on the the macro perspective, and I greatly appreciate more of the Don's in Danger Thank Radio much, Hour is on the way on AM 970, The Apple. Dogs in Danger is an award-winning charity that has turned the animal world on its head. It's the last chance for dogs waiting on death row in shelters across the country. They tell the public what dog is where and how many days they have before being killed. Then, caring people like you go and save the poor dog and bam, you have a new best friend and a happy family. Dogs in Danger has done this over 40,000 times in just two and a half years. Wow. Now you can help Dogs in Danger spread the word and save even more lives. Your donation is 100% tax deductible. So what are you waiting for? Go to dogsindanger.com and click the donate button. Just $18 a month will make them reach farther and help end the killing of our furry friends www.dogsindanger.com Then click donate and do something good for your soul. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On AM 970, The Apple. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back, Brenda. And a fascinating discussion gets a little intellectual and gets a little nerdy along the way. But I have to tell you, um, this comparison to school and education and, and dogs kind of bothers me a little bit. We, we heard it a couple of times. And I'll tell you why it bothers me, okay? We're not really asking. I don't think that it's fair to ask for lots of detail about the dog and, you know, uh, you know its breed and its uh, health condition. And, you know, you could go th- that kind of detail. I'm just talking about three basic things, okay? How many animals came in the door? How many went out the front door, meaning alive? And how many went out the back door? meaning dead. That's all I'm saying. And I think finding that out at the micro level 
not the national level, because I think um, I think Merritt is absolutely right. I think the the polling statistics are a pretty good reflection of what's going on nationally. Right. But you know, I want to know what's going on in New York. You have to to be able to address any issues. And I think you know the comparison to schools. I think you know the the primary issue he's making there, the point that he's making, which I agree with, is the logistical challenges of collecting data from that many. But we're at a point in technology where we can certainly Every achieve single, that. Yeah. Right. So so the the amount of reporting that we're asking or or that we think would be necessary. Um, and although there are a lot of shelters out there that are collecting it, they're not making it readily they're available. Not making they're it. just I mean, not. There are a handful. Through, and we, just listen know. to what he was saying. You have to go through a Freedom of Information Act request for 4,500 4, right. shelters. Right. And each one of those, I've done one FIOS request in my life, and it's not an easy thing. The reason for it is because it has to be exact. Yeah. And it has or they to, bounce it back. Or they bounce it back. And they'll bounce it back six months later. Right. Okay. Particularly so, if it's not something they want to provide to you. Uh, exactly. So what's the big secret? I, I still, you know, don't get, I understand we, we have it. decent you numbers. You know, we do VIN numbers on vehicles real easily. Yeah. So, I, I you know. You know what? Car facts Didn't, and nobody track your car me. and all of that. So we should be able to do a better job of tracking the animals in this country. So, so what's going on with emails, Brenda, before we get too emails, nervous on this? A couple of, we had some comments on our uh, on our Facebook page about uh, the topic of the day. Amy writes in, it's about time that we shine a bright light on, a shelter, ref- on shelter reform in this country. Uh, and Michael says, uh, dogs in danger rocks. Keep up the great work. I hope to see Pennsylvania and other states participate uh, and uh, as do we, Michael. Thank so you. So how are we doing on that poll? Give me a last number on the Lady Gaga I think we're, or the we're Gaga still poll. Hold, we're still holding the same. I, I don't, you want me to go back and check, I right? want you to go back and check. refresh the page While every I, time. I calm down from this. We want to do this. I know this gets Turbulent this, hour. This gets you all fired up every time. Unfortunately, <laughs> well, I, I have it. to live I'm it sorry, for the next you know? 48 hours after this. I mean, uh, if I had a bullet lodged in my brain, I'd probably get it. But the problem is that that bullet was taken out of you know, a couple of years back. Offensive 38 we're up to now and seven people uh, as the uh, awesome. Still the same seven, yeah. huh? Yeah. On All that right. note, I'm going to move on to um, our second featured dog of the day, who's a dog's in danger dog. This dog is at the Newport, Tennessee Animal Shelter. Yes, we do cover the whole country. Um, Shep is a beautiful. Uh, they're calling him a shepherd mix. He's he's absolutely stunning uh, in color. He's got beautiful eyes that just speak to you. You know, some shelters do a better job of taking pictures than others. And a picture really is worth a thousand words. So be sure to visit the website or the Facebook page so you can see this beautiful dog. Um, young adult male and uh, came to the shelter as a stray August 11th. So he's been... Uh, he's been waiting for uh, for a few weeks now, and his time is just about up. He's just over a year old and weighs about 25 pounds, friendly, energetic young dog, never met a stranger, meaning he likes everybody, you know, and gets along That's well nice. with other dogs. So um, he's really a, a, a beautiful dog. Uh, they're all deserving of homes. You know, I, I, I it breaks my heart picking uh, only two for each show each week. Um, we do let uh, donors pick volunteers, If I mean, pick dogs for, um, for highlighting if they want to do that too. You know but, what? Um... I just looked at, uh, this is our fifth show, so we've been highlighting, this is the 10th dog that we've highlighted, two mm-hmm. per show, and I went back this week and looked at all the dogs we, we uh, highlighted, and every single one was, tell me it's working. was adopted, except for one. All but there one. was this adorable, adorable dog that didn't make yeah. it and was euthanized, and I, I swear to you, it knocked me out for the evening. Wow. It, his, the dog's name was um, something Harry, do you remember? Hungry urgent, Harry or urgent something. Howie. Urgent Howie. There you go. Urgent Howie. And it blew me away. Yeah. And that dog was euthanized. That was the only one. 
We'll be back in just a minute, folks. We have a break. More of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour is on the way on AM 970, The Apple. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 40,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit dogsindanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now, before they run out of time. No fleas on us. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on AM 970, The Apple. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. We're we're back again, and Brenda, it's another hour, another fast-paced, interesting to me anyway. I hope to some other people out there, an interesting and fascinating hour. And we've got well, a couple of minutes it, to conclude. We live it twenty four seven, but we do turn on the mics one hour a week, so everyone else can tune in. So yeah, and get get a perspective on what right. we what we go through uh, every single day. Anyway, um, next week another fascinating show is coming up, and yeah. we're going to concentrate on the no kill movement. I mean, people have heard about this; it's on Facebook. Um, I mean, I hope everybody's heard about it. But what is the no kill movement? Uh, just exactly, is it a movement? Is it is it some sort of a cause? Is it an election event? Or what is what is the, you know, is it kind of like the tea parties, you know? So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to have one of the leaders, if not the originator of the movement on the mm-hmm. show, Nathan Winograd, is going to be joining us from California, correct? Yes. yes. So so we're really excited about that. And, and don't miss the October 31st oh, Election yeah. Day special. We need to talk about that, too. So um, Yeah, ele- Election Day is coming up, and this is going to be a— a watershed election, it looks yes, like. It it's going to be, uh, it's going to show which way the country goes, right or left or, or maybe down the middle. But it it's turning out to be something huge. And we have a doggy or animal version of Election Day special coming up on October 31st, where some of the key policymakers in this state, since we broadcast oh. in New York, um, in this state will be joining us to talk to us about things like this governor's veto and an override attempt or... Sure. For the, sure, this is not a, a a local issue. This is a national issue. So everyone's going to want to tune in to hear that discussion. Absolutely, absolutely. And some key people are going to be joining us. And it's it's only, what, two, three days before? Mm-hmm. It's Sunday before Election Day. So it's Sunday and everybody's right. voting We're on Tuesday. We're going to talk about the override attempt of the, the, uh, the override uh, efforts, rather, of Governor Patterson's veto of the shelter reporting bill. Right. And we have the key assemblyman mm-hmm. joining us who absolutely has to— law. Yeah, we'll be talking who, about Oreo's law, also. right? And we have the chairman of the agriculture committee, who is absolutely essential if Oreo's law is to see a second day uh, right. in 2011. So he's going to be joining us, and and other people as well. So we're really looking forward to that. So we I have think some, we're going to have Assemblyman Rosenthal with us too, aren't we? Do we have confirmation uh, possibly, on possibly, that? Possibly, possibly, if, yeah. if we can squeeze him in there, uh, squeeze her in there. I'm sorry about that. So some exciting stuff coming on. Um, no kill movement next week. Um, the Lady Gaga poll, we will shut down the, the shutdown and send the results to Lady Gaga. Okay, and so we'll probably get a, no, a, a hate mail from her. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> I still can't believe it. I still can't believe she walked on stage with meat on her. 
I mean, please. Yeah, I think we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a poll on the uh, the uh, Michael Vick top dog Philly story. So you know what? He's a, he's an amazing quarterback. Yeah, you know whatever. And whatever happened to his head? You know, maybe that bullet's still in there. But you know, the one that I got taken out, you know, maybe maybe that's still in there. But whatever said, he is an awesome quarterback, and uh, I think there he goes. We're about at the end. One fifty-nine. Yeah, the They're going to tune us out there in thirty seconds. So thank you very much, folks, for being with us. Thanks for joining and, uh, us, and we'll be back next week. Absolutely. How to say-